Welcome to Profiles for WFIU. I'm Annie Corrigan. On Profiles, we talk to notable artists, scholars, and professionals and get to know the person behind the persona. Our guest today is Sage Steele. Sports fans know her as the host of many programs on ESPN, including the station's flagship program, Sports Center. She's a graduate of Indiana University, earning a Bachelor of Science degree in sports communications. Sage, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I, I can't tell you how excited I am to be back. You just said you don't come back to IU all that often. Is it nice to be back, it even is, in all the snow? Yeah, you guys need to fix the weather. I noticed <laughs> that hasn't changed in the past 15 years. I don't get back often enough, no. Just work and family. I have kids, and it's just crazy. But every time I do, I, 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 I'm taken aback. I get emotional. I won't cry on you now, but I get emotional <laughs> because this is where everything began. Really, I, there's no way I'd be here professionally or personally without IU. We'll talk a little bit about how your career has progressed mm-hmm. after IU a little bit later on. You don't really get a chance to talk about your sports allegiances in your work, <laughs> obviously, but I have to know, who are your teams? Well, they've changed over the years. Overall, I I will say I don't necessarily root for teams anymore. Maybe it's because I'm a little jaded. (laughs) And when you get to know and and learn so much about athletes and coaches within certain organizations, ugh. So I root for people a lot, human beings. But I will say if I had to choose an NFL team, it would be the Colts. And that is because – I know. Is that a good thing? Yes, yes. (laughs) That is because – after I graduated from IU, one of my internships was at Wish TV in Indianapolis. So CBS, Channel 8, and that's where I really got hands-on experience and was in the locker rooms and was at training camp as a, as a young intern and got to do a lot of interviews. And, and so that's where it really began. And then I was able to come back a few years later, and that's the first NFL team I covered. And I left Indianapolis the year that they drafted Peyton Manning, unfortunately. So I leave and they start winning. Maybe there's a coincidence there. But because I was able to work with Peyton some and and the entire staff, it's a great organization. So that's who I cheer for. I love it. And the Cubs. And that's just brutally painful. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's that's brutal. I need to change that. But I'd get divorced if I changed that. (laughs) So he would leave me. You spent some time in Colorado. The Rockies aren't so bad. And that was well before my – I left well before they came. I, w- I actually began a Denver Broncos fan, and I was I was going to marry John Elway. <laughs> really? And it didn't work out. Yeah, not so much. And that's okay. It's a good thing. You're going to be interviewing Dominique Dawes, and she's a member or was a member of the Magnificent Seven in the 1996 Summer Olympics, a hero to many kids in the mid-90s. Who were your sports heroes when you were growing up? First and foremost, I have to tell you that my dad was, and not many people know about my dad. Many old school people do who followed college football. My dad, Gary Steele, went to West Point, and he was recruited heavily by Joe Paterno, if you can believe it, all those years ago. Wow. And now, look, he's st- my dad's 64 years old. And Joe Paterno just celebrated, what, his 112th birthday? Yeah, something yeah. ridiculous. He's yeah. been coaching forever at Penn State. Yeah, it's amazing. So to think that Joe Paterno recruited my father. And Penn State was certainly an excellent program then. But my dad was the first uh, African-American to play varsity football at West Point and was actually drafted by the Detroit Lions, even though they knew he couldn't play for them because he had to fulfill that five-year military obligation at West Point. So what he endured there as a black student athlete at West Point back in the 60s was amazing. And he, he, over the years, he didn't even share that much of it with me because he's just so humble and it's not about him. It's about his kids and everything else now. But the way he handled himself is what actually, I think, helped me um, choose inadvertently who I rooted for. So starting with my dad and how he handled himself, despite some of his trials and tribulations and successes. So my favorite football player was Walter Payton. And I wasn't necessarily a Bears fan, even though now I'm a bigger one because I work closely with Mike Ditka and love that man. (laughs) But I think sometimes when I do think about this, it all ties together. And it's about how these athletes carry themselves. And Walter Payton when he scored a touchdown, what did he do? He'd, you act like you've been there before. It's what my dad used to say. And he'd hand the ball back to the officials and he'd trot back to the sideline. There were no dancing and gyrations and Sharpie pens being pulled out of strange places. So I root for people who are just humble and respect the sport. So you have, you've had sports in your life from the very beginning then. Yeah. At what point did you decide, sports reporter, that's the career for me? 
Eighth grade. You know the exact... I knew. And my parents talk about it a lot because, you know, they said, oh, that's cute. She's, you know, a nice little girl and wants to (laughs) go go be in sports with the boys. And it wasn't about a boy-girl thing, but... I was actually quite a different, I was an extremely shy child to the point where my parents had me seen by some doctors. They were just concerned because I was scared of my own shadow. And so they thought, how the heck is she going to go on TV (laughs) in front of potentially millions of people and talk about sports when she can't even make eye contact with her teachers sometimes? So I knew in eighth grade and I pursued it from that moment on. I was a good athlete, but not a really good athlete. And so I knew probably my athletic career would end in high school, sadly. My next life, I'll be a star athlete and <laughs> you'll be talking about me. I won't be talking about you athletes. So I knew from a really young age. And and my parents, actually, when I was coming to IU, thought, you know, why don't you rethink this major? Um, I was interested in doing ROTC. I did an Air Force ROTC here. And, you know, th- there was a need a need for nurses, especially in the military. And then if you serve your five years, you're pretty much guaranteed a job. It's an amazing profession. But they just were worried about me making it in this predominantly male world. And I totally understand why now, <laughs> um, why they were concerned, although there couldn't be any two people more proud, obviously, of me right now. And they regret a little bit saying, oh, don't do that. But as a parent, now I understand why you want to protect your child. So I knew from the beginning, and I'm just honored that I've been able to fulfill my dream. We're going to talk about this aspect of sports being sort of a boy's world mm-hmm. coming up, because that's, that it's is there. an issue. Yeah, that's a pretty big issue. But let's talk about your work on SportsCenter. So this is a live format show, Sports Center, where you and a co-anchor, you do highlights, you do interviews, both on set and over the phone. All the while, there's a little ticker running at the bottom of the screen giving scores and updates. It's really like the 24-hour news format type situation just for sports. Mm-hmm. It, and really, it's amazing to watch you in particular, all the hats you have to sort of wear in this show. You're a reporter. You're a TV host. You're a celebrity wrangler. And sometimes you do live up stand-up comedy sometimes in the Sports Center format. So talk about all the different demands of this job. When you say that, it makes me nervous <laughs> because I think sometimes it's just my job and I forget that there is so much that goes into it to pull it off every day. But I guess because it took so many years for me to get there that it just it just kind of happens and I don't think about it, which is probably a good thing. If I thought about it, which you're making me do now, oh, no. <laughs> I would stress out. But it's okay. I don't have to go on the air today. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Not until Monday. I have time to recover. I will tell you that, I mean, it, by the way, in eighth grade, I, I said I wanted to be a sports reporter, but I wanted to be on Sports Center. So wow. I specifically knew what I wanted to do. <laughs> it has certainly changed since then, too. I mean, in what Sports Center is about and the expectations. and um, But... The pressure that I put on myself every single day, I mean, I've been at ESPN for four years. It's almost exactly four years right now. And every day I get nervous. So, I, I mean, I, I hope, I think it's a healthy thing because it does keep me on my toes. And I do maintain that perspective of this is Sports Center and this is the ultimate for many of us who get into the profession. Not all of us, certainly. There's so many different things you can do. But this is the show that everybody watches. Love it or hate it. Everybody knows what it's about and who's on there. So, I mean, every morning when I'm preparing, I I do get nervous because there are so many different things. And you know what? You can't know everything either. There's no way. If I were still covering just the NFL, which I really do miss having a beat, I do miss that part of it. Um, It's difficult, but it's easier because you can put your sole focus on your team or at least that league. And with this... Every show, you're covering probably all the uh, four major professional North American sports and college and anything else on the side. And the, you'll throw some politics. I mean, it, it can be overwhelming. So, you know, the competitive aspect is, is tough, too. There's not many of us who are doing it. And so you better be good and you better keep, keep it up or else someone else will be there tomorrow. So um, it's an honor, but it is certainly, you know, a lot of hard work and pressure probably too much I put on myself and I need to find a way to stop. And I haven't figured that out because I do sometimes, I can't eat before many shows. You know, maybe by the time I'm 40 in two years, I'll be better at it. I don't know. But it's, it's, I love it. I don't know what else I, I want to be doing. I mean, this is where I planned on being. 
Well, it's amazing to watch your watch you work. You're so good at the show and a lot Thank of fun you. to watch. Walk us through your typical day at ESPN. Okay. If I'm doing the 9 a.m. Sports Center, for instance, which is I, I did that all summer, and I will switch 9 a.m. Eastern, 12 noon, sometimes 3 p.m. rarely and preferably in the mornings now is where I like to be, weekend mornings. Um, but let's say 9 a.m. Sports Center on a Monday. I don't arrive till about 6.15, a little bit later than I'd prefer because it's a three-hour show. And, and you can't prepare the night before. The producers don't get in till about 4.30 or 5, and they meet, and then they put the rundown in. So if I'm there at 6.15, many times I'm not even assigned stories yet. So it is a major rush job to get prepared. And, oh, yeah, you have to take a half an hour and go do makeup. And as much as I hate it, it's part of it. It's high definition, baby. And you better <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> cover it up. My, a lot of people do hair as well. I... Gave up on my hair years ago. No one touches it. Everybody's afraid to touch it. It is what it is. It's what God gave me. I just leave it and go. Obviously, I didn't do this on purpose with my hair. So that saves me a little time. <laughs> you get in, you, you log on, and, and you, you hope your names are assigned to things, and you just start pounding away. When you do do it every day, you don't have to research every single thing. You know what the Lakers and the Celtics are doing. You know what, of course, with the Super Bowl, two weeks leading up to it. So you don't have to do too much research if you've been keeping up with your job, frankly. But there are other things. And then you have guests that you may or may not know are coming on the show. Thank goodness we have laptop computers there next to us that I am on constantly during the shows. When Josh Elliott, one of my main co-hosts, is talking, doing his highlight, I'm on looking at my next item and trying to add a couple more facts to this upcoming NBA highlight. Um, Commercial breaks are huge, not just to run to the restroom, but to do more (laughs) research, you know. It's just constantly. And so for those three hours, you are truly on. And so my work day, if you do the math, give me the extra 15. Say I get there at 6 a.m. I'm off at noon. It's a six-hour day. Tops. So that sounds easy. But it is such a high-pressure, stressful six hours that I'm dead when I get off the air. But then I have to go home and I have three young children. So it's like get over yourself, enjoy your relaxing drive home, and go back into job number two. Oh, that's so interesting to hear. The, the way Sports Center is set up is – they do these these camera shots but while they're going to commercial of you guys on your computers and they sort of swoop around and it's very dramatic and yes, fun. It is. You make little faces at the camera. It's it's <laughs> fun. You know, we get to see the personal side of you. You're doing actual work oh, then. Yes. I'm stressing out because many times, for instance, also, this is something that people don't know. On Monday after the Super Bowl, I was doing the 9 a.m. and some of the, the young production assistants who come in and editors, they come in at you know midnight or 2 a.m., were completely recutting new highlights, especially of, of A block, those first block, that first block in the show. We're recutting highlights to make them fresh for the viewers. You know, the Monday after the Super Bowl, I had watched the game, of course, but I went to look for my highlight, and, and it wasn't in my stack. They'll give you a stack of shot sheets, which gives you the setup, you know, first quarter, Colts up 7 nothing, the actual play, Peyton hits Reggie Wayne, you know, and then the result. But there's so that's kind of a basic shot sheet. But you have a lot that you need to add to it. And preferably you see the highlight before I go in the air with it. I'd say 80 percent of the time I don't. And so on Super Bowl Monday, you know, it's it's 852. And I went to beg to see this highlight because it's such an important highlight. And I just did the first half highlight, which was five minutes. I mean, they, they made it a long one. And there was a problem with the tape. And it wasn't available. So the first time I saw it is when I did it live on TV with Tim Hasselbeck and Herm Edwards. So not only are you trying to to nail that highlight and make sure you have all the names correct and make sure the downs are correct and make sure that you can look at the replay and have an opinion when you're speaking about it to the viewers – you have to also incorporate usually one analyst but two analysts. And, okay, Tim, you go – without saying, Tim, you go on TV. So it's crazy. And um, that's something that I – wasn't prepared for. There's no way to be prepared for it. But when I started this show, it's so difficult to do that and to do it well and to maintain your perspective and not think about how many people are watching because it can be overwhelming. But then again, I think that's what makes me better is because I'll step up to that pressure. For instance, you know, one of of the reasons I'm here is is to receive an award, the Anita Aldrich Distinguished Alumni Award, which I know I'm going to cry. But that's tomorrow night. I... I haven't prepared a thing for my 10-minute acceptance speech. But I, I, I'm learning about myself after all these years that that's how I work best, high pressure and adrenaline. And it, 
I think it helps me step up my game. I wish I weren't that way. This is the job for you. It is, and it's sick and crazy, but that's why I've been <laughs> I've been gray since I was 21 years old, since I got into TV. <laughs> Thank goodness for hair color. But it has truly, I mean, every day I scare myself with it, but I think it's, I'm finally, it's sinking in. That's what makes me succeed, is the pressure. But people don't realize that these highlights, we don't see them. We don't sit there and practice. They're thrown at us in commercial breaks or right before we air. And it's, it's scary. But then again, sometimes when I think, sit back and think about it, I guess it makes me a little proud that I, that I can pull it off sometimes. That's amazing to hear you <laughs> talk about that. The viewer just doesn't, we don't get that. Which we is good. We shouldn't. That. That's our job. Is to is to hide it and make it look smooth. Yeah, job well done. Thanks. Talk about a memorable moment that you've had at ESPN. My first day on the air, March fifteenth or sixteenth, two thousand seven. My first day on the air was the first day of the NCAA tournament, men's basketball. So, you know that first Thursday, there's two thousand games and the highlights are flying in. The game started at noon and. Um, and I did the 6 p.m. Sports Center, one of the higher-rated sports centers, just because of the time of day. And and it was it's usually an hour show or 90 minutes, and it was two hours and 45 minutes, completely unscripted. You know, afterwards, the man- management pulled me aside, and and they said, "Listen, we we apologize. We pretty much set you up to fail here, because not only was it a, a, almost a three-hour-long show on one of the busiest, most highly-rated days of the year, because people are trying to see all the scores from these games. It's the yeah, tournament. They're brackets. Yeah, they need the to brackets. Need to check off the brackets. And it was my first time ever on the air on ESPN. So, let's just say I fell on my face, deer in headlights. Dick Vitale and Digger Phelps were on set. I met them 90 seconds before our segment. It was one of my lowest points in my career. I still have a hard time thinking back about it, which is why I'm surprised I I acknowledged it to you just now. (laughs) (laughs) Because you wait your whole life to get to this stage and to be on SportsCenter. And then you're put in a tough situation. And it wasn't an inadvertent thing. It was, it was, it, people there at ESPN are amazing. And why are they going to make themselves look bad by putting someone on the air that's not ready? They just didn't think it through. But in the meantime, that was my debut. And you only get that first chance, that one chance to make a first impression. And that was it for me. And so not only as a new person, but as a female, I really wanted to nail it, of course. And I didn't. And, and the thing is, is, is I know it wasn't my fault. But it still devastated me. And it took me actually probably a full two years to get my confidence back and to realize that I belonged there. So at the same time, I do believe everything happens for a reason. And I've always had my priorities straight. That's how I was raised and families first. But it, it certainly helped me remember that as I was beginning this dream job slash high pressure job that, you know what, at the end of the day, even when you fall on your face, there are more important things out there. And so I was able to come home to my kids and my husband last night and cry and call my parents and cry some more and call my agent and cry some more. <laughs> but, you know, it was a reminder that if you bomb, they still love me. They still like me. And so through the next couple of years where I really struggled and, and couldn't really find a, a, a spot there, a niche for myself at ESPN, that's what kept me going. And um, so I'm thankful that I've had that foundation from well before I got to ESPN. And so now that I have found that spot and do have a home at ESPN, I, it, it hasn't changed. And so I still say, okay, thank you. It was a great show. I'm going home, <laughs> you know. Um, so I've had, don't get me wrong, I've had several fabulous moments there. But that really, really changed things. And um, it was brutal. And, of course, the Internet. I, I got killed on it. and um, Sports fans on the blogosphere yeah, can be brutal. And even your peers, which can be pretty, you know, and, 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 and other uh, media websites. And, and that's okay. The key is you just, I tell my mother, Mom, don't Google me. It is not safe. You're not going to like what you always see. Sometimes it's complimentary. It's just over the top from young guy, you know, just don't even read it. Mm-hmm. So some amazing moments. I was able to interview Coach K. Duke, Duke, Blue Devils coach. head coach, um, men's basketball. But he and my father went to West Point together. And so they've remained longtime friends. And and so I grew up rooting for Duke. But then the problem is I came to IU, and in the Final Four, who did we meet in 1992? Duke. Totally tore the family apart. But anyway, so <laughs> being able to interview people like that who, who have, you know, had an impact on my family. Um, Greg Gadsden, I don't know if you know his name, Colonel Greg Gadsden, and he is an Army colonel who had um, his – legs blown off in Iraq and 
when the Giants made their 2007, I think it was 2007 season, their Super Bowl run and beat the undefeated Patriots, they brought him in during a, a, a bad losing streak in the regular season as a motivational speaker. And he, they, they really credit him with turning their season around and then going on to win it all. And Greg Gadsden, for what he did, what he's sacrificed for this country. And, of course, my dad's, my dad's a retired colonel. I have that um, extra, I think, affection for people who have done that for this country that I think some people do forget about. And so to be able to interview him, who isn't a superstar, but made a difference for this team full of superstars. Um, sometimes I, my favorite stories have been the unexpected ones, not to be able to interview you know, Pat Summit after she won her 1,000th game or um, even Coach Knight, who I loved here and was able to reminisce with him. And he was at West Point when my dad was there and he knew my father. Fine, you interview the stars, but it's the people who maybe we don't always talk about that have, that are my fondest memories, like Colonel Gadsden. Nice, nice. Let's talk about your work before you got to ESPN. We talked about that a little bit already. You worked all over the country. You started in Indiana, then you went to Florida, then the D.C. area. And uh, you covered everything from football to college basketball to hockey to IndyCar. But you had a beat. You talked about this. So you, you had a specific thing that you were covering. You were really in the weeds, it seemed, with those jobs. And this seems a little bit different from that. Just talk about how your life now is different from your life back in those specific cities. My first job was at WSBT, the CBS affiliate in South Bend, Indiana. And um, I almost don't even know if I deserved that job. My mom would punch me for saying that I didn't deserve it. But it was a a medium-sized market. There's 200 and some television markets in in the country. So South Bend was 85. So that was considered a good-sized market to begin in. But I began as a news trainee. And that is because because someone named Bill Armstrong um, here at IU um, the late Bill Armstrong, head of the IU Foundation, yeah, um, did so much for this university. I met him working at Colorado Steakhouse here in Bloomington, waiting tables. And he came in for lunch a couple of days a week, and we started talking every time. And long story short, he helped me get a grant in the IU Athletic Department for my second semester of my senior year. And we we established a friendship. And when I graduated, he helped me get the internship at WISH, but he also helped me get into WSBT in South Bend because he knew the GM. And so the GM did Bill Armstrong a favor and brought this inexperienced kid in from IU and um, created a position for me. I wasn't ready to be on TV or to produce or to edit or to do anything. But Bill Armstrong's friend gave me a chance for Bill. And it was basically a paid internship where I learned to edit, spent spent a year in four different areas, editing, reporting, producing, and then um, shooting camera as well, which about wow. killed my shoulder. That lasted for a day when I almost <laughs> dropped their $40,000 camera. And they created this position for me as a favor. So, you know, I was making seventeen or $18,000 a year and, and trying to pay off some stupid credit card debt from college and, you know, rent and a, and a used car payment. And I had a penny left at the end of every day. So I eventually went on to producing um, the morning show there and the noon show. But in order to make ends meet, I was working at the Colorado Steakhouse up in Mishawaka. And so I would I would be at work at 3 or 4 a.m. and work till about 1 p.m. And then I'd go home and take a quick nap. And then I'd go to Colorado Steakhouse from about 4 to midnight. And I passed out steaks. And so then when I got on the air in South Bend and I was, you know, doing all kinds of things from high school football games to school board meetings to bank robberies and murder-suicides, then I'd go at night and pass out steaks and meet in rare, rare, well done, how do you want your steak, big potato, low, you know. So my life was <laughs> And wow. people would recognize me from being on TV. Yes, I'm giving them their, their steak and baked potato. So it was, it was funny to That's think funny. back on that. But my goodness, I wouldn't change it for the world because, again, I, I know that, you know, people can say, oh, look at her and ESPN. And I worked to get there and I did it on my own, broke and two jobs to make it happen. But I think back on those days so fondly and I'm just I'm amazed to see that I've been able through so much help from other people to get to where I am. But, I mean, my agent, one of my first agents said, your goal, and this might sound weird and cold and callous, but your goal is to work less and get paid more. I mean, I think, hey, everybody admit it, right? Right. Um, So I love my work. But through the years, I have slowly but surely been able to scale back a little bit on the hours and be able to save up some money. And I have three kids to put through college. And so... 
you know, no regrets. And, I, and I'm so thankful for all those times. And then in Indianapolis, when I was working, you know, at, at 3 a.m. To, to noon or 1 p.m. shift, but I was young and single. And I wanted to go out with my friends. And so I would go out till midnight or one. And then I'd take a quick half hour nap and shower and go in and go on TV. So it was stupid of me. <laughs> That's crazy. But I, I, I didn't want to miss out. And I didn't know how to balance that, obviously. <laughs> um, so through the years, things have changed. And, and now to be here and to be, again, to be able to fulfill my dream that I've had since, since eighth grade, I'm humbled. I, I really am. I have some ideas about maybe things possibly in the future, but, you know, it takes you come back to IU and you see where it all began. And, um, you know, it, it is. It's really emotional for me because I, there's no way I would be here today without IU. I'm curious to talk about what your plans are for the future. Okay. Too. We'll get to that in a little bit. So let's listen to some music now. This is music by the indie rock folk artist Dido. Here's Thank You. listening to music there of Dido. That was Thank You. And you're listening to WFIU's Profiles. I'm Annie Corrigan. Today we're speaking with Sage Steele. Production support for Profiles comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922, with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. We're going to talk about something a little bit difficult now. The whole idea of the sports world being a boy's world. You're a woman in the sports world. Stories pop up here and there about female sports reporters being harassed by players in the locker rooms, being condescended to by their colleagues or their interviewees. So just to give our listeners a little bit of an idea of what I'm talking about here. In 2003, sideline sports reporter Susie Kolber interviewed former Jets quarterback Joe Namath, who was visibly intoxicated. This was a live broadcast. During the interview, he twice said that he would like to kiss her. She took it in stride. She handled it very well on live TV. Mm -hmm. Then more recently, in September 2010, Inez Sens, she's a female reporter for Mexico's TV Azteca, was reportedly harassed by Jets players as she waited in their locker room to do an interview with their quarterback, Mark Sanchez. That's the New York Jets football team. The result was many a conversation in the sports world about whether female reporters should be allowed in locker rooms at all. So a number of questions about this. Do you experience anything like this? Have you experienced anything like this? Do you still today as a female sports reporter? I certainly have in the past. Uh, I'm not really a a reporter per se anymore. I'm a full-time anchor in studio, so I'm not in locker rooms anymore. But I spent 10 years in locker rooms of all sorts and clubhouses. Depending on the sport, they they have a different name for it. But 10 years definitely in NFL locker rooms. And, oh, yeah, I experienced it. You know, however, I, I have maybe a different take on this than some people might expect. Again, I experienced those things, and it was difficult. My husband and, you know, boyfriend at the time had a hard time knowing that his wife was going into these locker rooms with 70 naked men, (laughs) frankly. But at the same time, I I do think we as women have to have a respect for that being their That's their private area to an extent. And so when we come in there wanting to do interviews, you have to expect a little bit. When I say expect a little bit, meaning you're going to see some things. Now, do you have to expect to be treated in a certain way, disrespectfully, absolutely not. And I put many a player in their place for doing it. You're going to expect it. You have to expect it, frankly, because, and this is not an excuse. It is what it is. 
it starts in junior high, and it doesn't really change. And it is, a, I'm going to say, a boy's, not always men's, because they don't act that way, a boy's locker room. But when you come in there as a woman, I think that you have some responsibility, too. And, you know, do you sit around and look? I had a pact with my photographer, every photographer I ever worked with, especially when it was when we were waiting to interview star players who I had to get this one soundbite. And, you know, I, I would I would look at my cell phone. I'd look at my shoes. I'd pull out a book. I'd pull out media notes to read or pretend to read until I knew that person was dressed because I didn't ever want to be mistaken for one of those women who, you know, and there are women who are in there for the wrong reason. Definitely. I've seen it. I've spoken to them about it. I'm disgusted by it because it affects me, the people who are in there doing their jobs the right way with the right, right intentions. You know, maybe, I don't know, that's how it worked for me was to have a relationship with my photographer and even other media members to just say, hey, let me know when it's okay. Is Ray Lewis done getting dressed? You know, I don't ever want to be mistaken for that person. But I am so disappointed in so many women. And um, the way they dress says a lot. And that... When I speak with young women, when I speak in, in classrooms at universities, that's one of my strongest points. Why are you here? Why do you want to get into this business? Do you want to be a journalist and tell stories? Or do you want to pick up some hot guy with, with deep pockets? And, you know, they all say the right thing. But sometimes their actions speak louder than their words. And when they dress in certain ways, you know, science has been on the, the uh website on the internet for years for for her attire. That's not an accident. She's a smart girl, smart, talented girl. She knows what she's wearing. She knows why she's wearing it. I've never asked her. I've never met her. But um, I'm not saying it's an excuse to be treated that way. But when you do come in, if you have the tightest possible pants on or the shortest possible skirt or the tightest possible blouse with everything hanging out, what do you expect them to think your intentions are for being there? I'm not saying it's fair, but there are ways to look feminine and pretty, but still look professional. And I have a major problem with women who come in there and flaunt it. And the majority of women are fine and are professionals. The majority of women I, I love and respect and, and I'm rooting for them. But you can't come in there and look like that and expect to be respected. It doesn't excuse what happens at all by these players and coaches. But I am offended when women do that because it takes away from those of us who've done it the right way, who've started from scratch, from nothing. And have I been propositioned? Have I been offered extra you know, stories or scoop or interviews if I would go, on to go to dinner with a certain player or coach? Too many times to count. And even when I was, was a 23-year-old starting off and in my first um, – real sports job in Indianapolis, working with the Colts. I mean, I had an opportunity to, to break this story, and the, and the player said, only if you go to dinner with me. And I was devastated. You know, I was 23 years old. But I said, well, I guess I don't want the story that bad, and I walked away. And then he called me back an hour later and gave me the story. So no one, the thing is, no one had to tell me this. And that's what I'm confused with with so many women, is why should someone like me who's in the business have to You should know. I, I'm very sensitive about this topic because, yes, the players and the coaches are responsible, and it makes me sick what I hear sometimes and what I experienced myself. But the women are responsible, too. Have some respect, if not for yourself, but for the women who have come before you and have paved the way and for the women who are hoping to follow in your footsteps. And this all begs the question, should women be in the locker room at all? Well, I say yes because I think it, for the most part, it is fine. And most of the players are fine. 99% of the players are fine. Maybe 95. Um, and most of the women are fine, too. Um, however, it's all or nothing. If you want to ban women, fine. you got to ban the men. That means all reporters, nobody can go in the locker room. So all or nothing, you decide. You know, That's my take on it. The problem with banning everyone is that then you have to corral the players and convince the players to come out to the podium or to meet you out in the lobby afterwards. And they're not going to do that, especially when you have an NFL team with, um, you know, I'd say with, with practice squad team, you got 60, 65 players in there after a game or even after practice. And there's, it is hard enough to get them to stay around in the locker room, much less bring them out and, oh, wait in line to speak at the podium. And oh, by the way, we all have deadlines too. 
and people don't wait for the deadlines and for the for the newspapers, for the internet sites, for television to turn the sound bites around and feed it back to the station and get it on live TV so you, the viewer, are happy. So I don't think it'll ever happen where they ban all of us, and there's no way that they'll ban just women. Can you imagine the lawsuits out there? Yeah, of course. So so something needs to change, or just or just get continue to get better because hey, we have come a long, long, long way. We really have. Is there still work to be done? Absolutely. But there's a work to be done by both sides. Thank you for talking about that. Well said. I, I watch SportsCenter all the time. So I remember this one particular SportsCenter day. Your co-anchor commented that you smelled good. <laughs> it was in a live broadcast. And your response, you sort of cocked your head. You looked at the camera and you said something like, yeah, because smelling good really matters. You, you know, you handled it really well. So do you have little tactics like this to deal with awkward situations in a live broadcast where you know that you're you have to be on your toes? Your co-anchor feeds you this line that's really inappropriate. You handled it really well. I mean, talk about how you deal with that. You know, I will say it depends on my co-host for the day because there are certain times where I expect crazy comments from some versus others. The thing is, is you can't prepare for it. You hope you react well. And with him, I roll my eyes and laugh and keep going. Maybe I, maybe I shouldn't have now that you mention it. But it's, it's almost par for the course. And you're like, that's just how he is. And, and that's not right now that you mention it. It's just you just don't know what you're going to get. And, and, then, and then my focus is, okay, roll my eyes. He said something stupid. I have a highlight to get to, and I have to kick butt on this highlight. So I hadn't thought about that since that moment. And since I really did, I cock my head and say, really? Is that what's most important right now? So um, it is something that, that you just can't prepare for, and you hope that you react the best way possible. I don't have too many awkward moments like that where it's something personal. <laughs> but... You, you just never know, with, with, whether it's with the athletes and the coaches or your, or your co-hosts and your peers. And, and this is another reminder that, you know, I'm just going to work every day and I'm doing my job and I'm doing what I love. But there are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, potentially more than that, across the world who are seeing that and who probably are watching how I react to situations like that. And... It's scary because I'm not always going to react the same way because, as you said, it's live. I just, you know, maintain who I am and my basic morals and values and principles and that it comes across when I'm doing my job. It's all I can do. Hearing you talk about this, it just sounds like in your job you have to be better. You have to be more prepared. You have to be more professional than your male colleagues. You're just working harder. Part of that is, is my own doing. Because I do put so much pressure on myself, too much. I really beat myself up. You know, I'll do a, a, a live three-hour sports center, and what do I remember? You know, one moment when I pronounced a hockey player's name wrong, and I beat myself up about that on the drive home. And I have an agent, by the way, who is in correspondence with me throughout every single show. He represents several people at ESPN, several of us, and somehow he watches every single thing that all of us do. It's phenomenal. But I get an email, and it's it's very constructive, to put it nicely. <laughs> and he will rip me if I pronounce a name wrong. And it's one of those things, again, I'm not doing just Major League Baseball. I'm doing all sports. So I'm trying to get the names down, not just for tennis, soccer, these international <laughs> uh, sports. World Cup killed me. You know, <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a soccer person. And, and there's no way you can be an expert at all of these things. So I beat myself up about it enough on my own. But in the meantime, I do. It, it, is, it is because I'm a woman, I think, and I do feel like I have to be better than the guys. But it's been that way from day one because I've always been – when I worked in Indianapolis, there were four on-air people, and I was the fourth of four, um, the youngest, the most inexperienced, and the only female. And then many times always the only – African-American or minority of any kind, too. So I feel like I am having to represent a lot of people, but most importantly, myself. And I want to be the best that I can be and, be and the most professional. And so someday when my kids are, you know, Googling me and seeing videos of me, that they're seeing good things. 
And yes, maybe some mistakes because I'm human and it's live TV, but also some of the good parts where maybe I can handle something like that comment about how I smell. It is a nice perfume, I will say, but still, <laughs> you didn't have to say it then, that they'll see how I handled it and, and how I dressed and how I presented myself, because that's another thing with women, as we spoke about, that you're heavily scrutinized on, on what you choose to wear. And I pick pretty much everything out, out on my own. And I, and I still, who doesn't want to look good and as a woman be pretty on TV and as a man be handsome and put together? Anybody says they don't care about that is full of it. We all do. <laughs> um, and oh, by the way, those of you watching at home, you know you look, you judge, and that's your right. But I want my daughters and my son to be proud of, of, of what I presented out there. And so if I kick butt every day and I do my absolute best, yeah, I put too much pressure on myself and, yeah, I beat myself up too much. But that's just who I am. And that's I, I just hope to make my family proud every day and, and in the future. After your six-hour day at Sports Center, where you're stressed out and you're working all the time, <laughs> you come home, you're the mother of three, you have a husband. Do you have time to play sports at no. this point in your life? No, I miss it. Well, I do. I have made time recently because my parents really got on my case because I didn't have any time for myself. And again, I think that's part of being a, a mom, frankly, where everybody else is more important. And and you're kind of that, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, she yells at me all the time. She's like, you haven't had a manicure in three years. You're on TV. You need to care. I'm like, Mom, I don't care. But I don't care. I really don't. Just hopefully the camera won't do a close-up on my fingers or my toes anytime soon. <laughs> I have started going to um, a boot camp. It's actually been almost a year and a half. I'm in the best shape of my life. And it, it is, yes, to be in shape as I'm getting older. But also um, it's that one hour where it's for me, and I hate it. And it's at 5.30 in the morning, and I'm not a morning person. Putting on my schedule, I can adjust the times, but um, it kills me. But I'm proud of myself because I'm accomplishing it. And they're just three days a week, and I'm doing it. And I'm in good shape, and I'm, again, setting a good example for my kids. As a child and as a teenager and even through college and then a few times off and on as an adult, I've, I've been heavily into equestrian horseback riding. I had a horse, and I competed for a long time as a teenager, and I'm back into that. And that is definitely a workout. People don't think it's a sport. Oh, let me tell you how my thighs feel right now. It's a sport. And my oldest daughter is is in it as well. And so it's kind of something we're doing together. Again, nothing just for me, but that's okay. <laughs> my husband's a personal trainer, so we're very health conscious, and, and we're trying to set that example for our kids. So they're not sports per se. I'm not playing volleyball anymore. I'm not really out there running like I used to, but I'm in shape. And now I, my kids are in sports, and so I'm, you know, they're not, they're not in soccer, but I'm kind of that soccer mom that, you know, when I'm off, I'm schlepping everybody to swimming and dance and riding and basketball, and and I wouldn't have it any other way. It's just not about me right now. It really isn't. Someday it will be again. I had that time, but right now it's about them. And if I can squeeze in some stuff, some you know, fun stuff for myself on the side, then it's a good week. We talked about you moving around for your work, and when you were young, you moved around a lot with your father being in the military. Do you see yourself staying in Bristol, Connecticut at ESPN for a while? Yes, I do. And it scares me because I, I'm, I'm used to changing every couple of years. And, and so if, if I'm going to be there, I'm going to have to, you know, redecorate my house or move or something just to keep it fresh because my whole life I've moved. You know, I mean, to give you some perspective, my father was in the military for 24 years and my mother of course, most of the time it's the woman who's at home and, and, and having to move their families into new houses and help everybody adjust, at least in the military. It's, you know, usually the woman who's doing that. And um, my mom did it 19 different homes in 24 years. Wow. So I look at that and what my mother was able to do and, oh, my goodness. So I, I have that nomadic feeling as well. Where I, I like it. I like change. I like meeting new people. But again, it's not about me anymore, is it? And so, yes, this is my job. And we, we are going to try to provide a little bit of a different lifestyle for my kids and some, a little bit more stability, even though I wouldn't change anything that I experienced for the world. I have three years left on a four-year contract. My first contract was for three years. And so this will be seven by the time I finish this deal. And that's the longest by far I've lived anywhere in my life stressful. But there's a lot out there. And ESPN and ABC, you know, we have Josh Elliott 
from our um, 9 a.m. sports center weekdays. He does a lot of stuff for Good Morning America on weekends because we're all the same family. We're all Disney owned. So there are other things out there. And I, and I am certainly keeping my eye on those things because I do have more interest than just sports. That is something that has certainly changed and developed over um, the years where it was sports, 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 football, football, baseball, basketball. And now I have other interests and things that, frankly, are a lot more important than sports. You know, even politically, I, I have some really strong beliefs and I, I, I follow it very closely um, because it affects me. It didn't, it's not as if it didn't affect me then. I just didn't care. And I was so focused on getting to where I needed to go career-wise. And now, with again, with, with family, you have to pay attention to those things. There's talk shows. There's the Oprah Network. I mean, there's so many things that I'm interested in because I feel like I'm I, – when I, when I do the show First Take on ESPN2 – I love that show. I love Sports Center. That's Sports Center, and I love it. But at first take is so different because you can do your X's and O's and have those conversations and have the debates about who's the best quarterback to ever play. But you also can have conversations and chit chat between anchors and even your guests. They're, the interviews are completely, they're formatted completely differently. It's a much different feel, and I love that. I really love being able to do what we're doing and have a conversation versus always. Two questions in and out. You can't say thank you because they're an analyst and that's their job. And you just say, that's Mark Schlereth with us all day on SportsCenter. Don't say thank you. So I like the conversational part of it. So who knows what will happen? But right now, we, my husband, my family, we're so happy there. I do. I feel maybe it's cheesy, but I feel blessed to be able to do what I set out to do in the eighth grade every single day, even though it's in the frozen tundra of Bristol, (laughs) Connecticut. So, I mean, maybe in 15 years we could see you with your own talk show, maybe network television news. Not 15 years. I say sooner. Sooner. Five, (laughs) seven years. Seven years. Again, because there are so many opportunities within the ESPN, ABC family. So I want to stay with this company. And there are so many things. Look at Robin Roberts. Robin Roberts was my and still is the person I look up to the most in the business. Since I was... A, a young kid watching her on ESPN and elsewhere. And so now to see what she's done and notice whenever there's a, a big sports story um, that they're going to cover on Good Morning America, who does it? It's Robin. And so she's still involved with sports and she still does a lot for us at ESPN, but she is has been able to branch out and do other things. And I have always wanted to follow in Robin's footsteps. And in a few ways I've been able to, and I want to continue. I would love to just be her copycat. All the way, all the way through. Uh, One more question for you. What's one thing you want your fans of ESPN and SportsCenter to know about Sage Steele? Something we would never know by watching you work on television. It's, It's nothing that exciting. It's just, at the end of the day, there would be no choice to make. I love my job, and I'm so thankful. And I am humbled by the emails I get and the phone calls I get and the letters I get from from young men and women who say they want to be like me. I can't believe it. I'm just this army brat who went to Indiana University on a whim, frankly, met my boyfriend at the library at IU, married him, my first boyfriend, and have the best family any girl could ever ask for. And so I would walk away from this today with all the success I've had. It doesn't matter. And it is cliche to say, oh, when you're, when you're on your deathbed, what do you, you know? No, I mean, I don't, I don't want to be known as this fabulous sportscaster. I just want to be known as a, as a good person who did things the right way. When we grew up, and it was annoying to hear quite often because my dad, being the, the colonel, it's funny. My kids don't call him grandpa because they had another grandpa. They call him Colonel. <laughs> and, you know, he, he's silly and crazy. And, and they don't know that his name is Gary or, you know, that they think Colonel equals grandpa. Like, that's just his name. And so growing up as an army brat with a father in the military, we were, you know, we had to do push-ups. We had to, we had room inspections every Saturday. And our rooms better be spick and span clean. And, but one thing he always reminded us through all those tough, you know, the army type stuff, G.I. Joe stuff. Um, he would recite the cadet prayer, part of the cadet prayer, which was, Lord, help me to choose the harder right versus the easier wrong and never to tell a half truth when the whole truth can be one. See, I get emotional when I talk about this stuff, but 
I just want people to know that I, I did things the right way. So you can accomplish everything by doing it the right way. And that I didn't have to sacrifice my morals and values and my dreams to have a family to get to the top. And I don't know that I'm at the top. For me, this is the top. And so you can do things the right way and still accomplish everything. And I'm a wife first and a mom and a daughter and a sister and hopefully a good friend to people. I'm trying. And I have a pretty cool job, too. That's me. That's it. We've been speaking with Sage Steele today. She's a sports reporter, host of ESPN's Sports Center, a self-defined army brat, mother of three, and we'll call you sort of a behind-the-scenes Colts fan. It's okay. You can say it. She's a Colts fan. She's a Colts (laughs) fan. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Thank you. Let's go out on a piece of music here by John Mellencamp. This is Small Town. This has been Profiles from WFIU Public Radio in Bloomington, Indiana. I'm Annie Corrigan. Thanks for listening. The program you just heard was recorded in February of 2011. The studio engineer and technical producer was Michael Paskash. Production support for Profiles comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922, with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Copies of this or other programs can be obtained by calling 812-855-1357. Information about profiles, including archives of past shows, can be found on our website, wfiu.org. Profiles is a production of WFIU and comes from the studios at Indiana University. Christina Kuzmich, Executive Producer. Please join us again for the next edition of Profiles. For WFIU, thanks for listening.